Hello, everybody, and welcome to Shop Talk Show. We have two amazing sponsors this week. One of them is Converge FL. It is a conference on October 4th and 5th in Tallahassee, Florida. That's coming up super quick here, guys. So just make the snap decision. Yes, I'm going to go to this thing. It's an amazing conference. It's the first time it's been in Florida. It's often called Converge SC, and it's in Columbia, South Carolina. Really great. I'm going to be speaking at it, which is pretty cool along with Cameron Mole and Carl Smith and Gina Bolton, who's been on the show before. Uh, it's going to be a great conference. We'll talk about that a little later in the show. And Environments for Humans, of course. Thanks for being a longtime sponsor. Uh, go check out InControlConf.com. It's coming up here at the early December. It's a conference in Honolulu, Hawaii. Again, we'll tell you a little bit more about that later in the show. Let's kick this thing off. Another very special episode of the Shop Talk Show, a podcast all about front end design and development. Why, Chris, co host Chris, is this episode so special? Oh my god, it's it's just oh, it's hard to even say it. A machine gun, which is what we just did. This is a rapid fire episode. No guests, just me and Dave plowing through as many listener questions as we possibly can. Oh, that feels good. Ooh, that gets you going, doesn't it? Just First one is by Chris Ruggia. Ruggia. Here we go. Hi, uh, Chris Ruggia here, web designer in Alpine, Texas. I recently started using Less, and my question is about minifying CSS in WordPress. How do you guys work around the fact that WordPress identifies themes with a comment block in the style.css file? And when that block gets stripped out in minification, WordPress can't recognize a theme and it doesn't work. So I'd be interested in hearing what thoughts you all might have on that. Thanks a lot. Good, good question. You know what he's talking about, man? Yeah, so when you have a WordPress theme, you there's a block at the top of it that's like author, my name, theme name, this name. So when it shows up in your WordPress like theme picker, it has like section... Yeah, it has like all the the metadata kind of in there, and if you like minify things and you crunch stuff out, then it's just like straight, like just blank spots. Yeah, most minifiers remove you know non relevant white space and comments and all that. Mm-hmm. And and rightly so, they're really good at that. Um, so what do you do in this situation? Um, I uh, do you got do you one, do? Chris? Kind of. I well, one one thing is there's a in some minifiers there's a way to uh, do a special kind of comment that doesn't get stripped. So instead of doing a comment where it's just like slash star, uh, which is CSS comments, you go slash star exclamation point, and then that comment isn't stripped by the minifier. Ooh. So you just do that in the top. That's one way you can do it. Yep, yep. 
Uh, and, and sometimes, like I use, uh, um, sometimes I even want to put my CSS in another location. So I'm using SAS and Compass a lot, and you can only specify in a given SAS project one folder for it to watch uh, for, for changes to your SAS. And I don't want that to be at my root because I don't want to keep all my CSS files at the root of my WordPress theme or the root of my site. Um, and it, it, you can nest folders within that, so it doesn't give you just one folder. It will like it will match your nesting rules, but I, I don't want it to be. I mean, so a lot of times what I'll do is I'll make a style.css file, the root of my WordPress theme, um, that just has that comment block at the top of it, and it just doesn't add import for uh, my global.css that's buried one folder deep. Mm-hmm. So I keep that comment intact and I just do a little add import and uh, kind of call it a day there. So there's, there's two solutions for you, Chris. And, and then I guess in your, your like header.css or header.php, you could just kind of reference not the style.scss, but whatever your folder is, huh? Mm-hmm. Right. That's even better. Yeah. Cuz then you don't have to do that cuz the add import thing's kind of like double request kind of. Yeah. So you shouldn't probably do that. Yeah, you could just just leave your your style.css that lives in your in your theme root just with just only that comment in it and that's it and then have you link up I should do that. Ooh, I like Hacks. it. Uh you could also upload uh a only like you could upload a non-minified version, like fully commented, you know, like version, and then ha- use something like W3 Total Cache or something like that to minify your CSS post fact, and then your theme is recognized, and then your your WordPress install is doing all the compression. That said, I've had a lot of bad luck <laughs> with. <laughs> CSS compression lately and JavaScript compression, so I'm not a pro, so don't listen to me. <laughs> I'm the I'm the bad advice machine. Welcome to the bad advice machine, Chef Talk Show. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> Hopefully that helped, Chris. Sorry. Next question. <laughs> Uh, okay, so the next question is from uh, Josh Coast, and it's an audio question. Hi, guys. This is Josh from Denver. Great show. So, trying to work out responsive design, and I can't really come to a conclusion as to what we need M's for. I get that if you change a font size and a parent element, all the fonts will change in all the siblings. But is that it? Seems like a lot of math and overhead to adjust some font sizes. It's got to be a bigger payoff, right? Tailor made for you, isn't it? Yeah, if only somebody wrote a really unbelievable article for NetMag about getting flexy. I know a guy who did that. I just saw that. So, isn't it? It was kind of like a. Some of your, I've, but I've seen you talk before. Yeah, it's basically like the text version of my talk, um, you yeah. know. But uh, it's it's more or less these like five points. But uh, the one reason you want to use M's and and Josh, I mean, it depends on your situation, you know. Like if you really love specifying pixel values, cool, bro, good luck. <laughs> but what I've learned personally after doing like. A, a few dozen of these responsive sites is a few dozen. That would be like 36. I probably haven't done that many. <laughs> Sorry. Um, what I've learned by doing 
a halfish dozen um, uh, responsive sites is that you you really get into like um, you 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 want to build a system of proportions. So like when you're designing, you, you're basically in theory, if you built your proportions right, when you're doing responsive stuff, you could just increase the body size and kind of scale up the text as you're you're going. Um, and what I've been I've been in a pickle where like I specified everything in pixels and I went really hard and on pixels and then somebody like comes along and they're like, Hey, I want that to be one pixel larger or that's one pixel off, you dummy. And then I'm like, Ah well, Okay, and then you have to like. Is that screwed up your proportions? Well, it's like if you do that, then you got this. Yeah, you're like your balance is off, and then you have to like shave off a pixel from somewhere else, and then shave it from some. You know, you get into this like, um, real. It, it's sort of like tight coupling versus like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I was gonna do a really weird analogy there, but like you're so tightly coupled to pixels. Pixels are like cement. It's saying like this is what it is. Don't change it. And M's are sort of like I'll change if my friend changes. You know, um, so it, it's tough. And M's within M's gets even tougher. So I totally realize you, that how confusing that can get, Josh. But uh, you might want to look into REM units, which are supported like i9 plus i think or yeah i think so and um those are really cool um those kind of make it easier chris any tips yeah it's tough i haven't uh, i'm not totally on board with m's just because i fi- i do find that it you know that that cascading stuff difficult and often kind of not worth the payoff but i kind of get it one of the advantages like like uh, it used to be a kind of a bigger deal when pixels were cement but and you also couldn't even you couldn't change the font size in the browser either but nowadays that's not true you can just hit command plus and it will increase the size of of it'll kind of zoom the web page and make uh, the the text bigger and it's not a big deal well there are still some browsers that don't do that like they they will stick they will what like what i dude i want to say like ies and maybe even chrome like it's weird like um i need to figure i'll all research facts. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, that would be kind of a bigger deal. I mean, I'm looking at Chrome right now, and it's fine. Um, I think it's like maybe if you use the the Zoom, not – I don't know. I need to figure that out. I've yeah, seen, like, I've like mobile it. might be a yeah, bigger I've like thing seen than desktop. Yeah, i in the like recent months, and it's not that – it's it's like rough, but um, mm-hmm. it was totally unexpected. It was from – I realize, I know it was from a browser I didn't expect, but – yeah. Anyway, go ahead. I could see that. Yeah. Uh, another thing is, I used to kind of, kind of like the absoluteness of pixels, but I've started to, to be a little annoyed with the fact that a PX doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything more than an EM does. They're both very arbitrary. I find. Yeah. Uh, a pixel doesn't mean a pixel. You know, it means a it means a screen pixel, which is this very weird concept. And if you think if you're like, I don't want to use M's because they're weird, look into what a screen pixel is, and then get weird. <laughs> that's that's some weird wild stuff there it has to do with angles and stuff it's very strange uh so they're both a bit arbitrary it's just kind of think of it as one of them cascades and one of them doesn't uh which can be a problem it, uh, one way to kind of solve that is to just to think don't set other than maybe the body you can set a font size on but try to only set font sizes on 
contextual nodes. Mm-hmm. You know, set it on P's and LI's and H2's and stuff. Don't set it on divs and sections and articles. That will that will you know like as a hard rule so that you can avoid being in a situation where there's a lot of nested things because you don't really nest P's and P's. You do you do nest LI's and LI's, which can get tricky. But that's pretty much the only thing I can think of. You know, it's not like a a very large. Uh, issue and you just gotta, I guess, bounty be careful with that. And that's like what Dave was saying. That's where rem can be helpful. So it's only relative, then up to the body and not not any farther, or doesn't you know, kind of skips the parents or whatever. Uh, but Josh is kind of asking, like, what is the big payoff, right? Like, this is to to deal with this, to think about it. Like, is there's got to be something that uh, feels good when you're done? And I think what that might be is the is kind of the media query land. Not not much paid zooming, but like it's starting to make a lot of sense to adjust font sizes based on screen width and screen height and and stuff like that. Just basically screen size and being able to write a media query with a simple min width, max width, whatever min height, max height that that can make one tiny little change and have that scale all the way through your typography set is really nice. It's really light, feels good. That's the big payoff, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, yeah, it's like if you're increasing your, your body font size or something like that or your like sections font size or something, like you're probably going to want more – like let's say I had a 18-pixel paragraph font with 18 pixels of margin, you know, and then you – Every time you want to increase that, you have to change the margin and the paragraph. You know, I mean, you you if you change it to 22 pixels, then you have to overwrite the the font size and the margin. And then if you change it to 24, you have to say font size and margin. Uh, if you do like an M-based system, you only have to overwrite one property. You're just saying bump up the font size, and then you know, mm-hmm. like, and then. I don't know. It, I try to just think like you're creating a system of proportions, not hard coded values, and that's going to kind of win you out, I think. But again, like like you said, Chris, it's not like you have to, I guess. But it, it's if you have a complex system, this will kind of help. I think. I think personally, I am H O. Yeah, yeah. Do a you know do a search for font size, and you're you know. And on your like compiled deployed CSS, how many times you're setting it? I think your the goal should be not that many. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. I mean, or you can even just do like how many times does PIX occur? PX, you know, like, yeah. and you can just see how much you're using that and overriding that. And I don't know. It's just interesting. I don't know. Mm. I've, I've come to appre- I could talk about this for hours, apparently, uh, but I've come to appreciate the balance, like. Like, oh, I want this to just be one M away from this icon. That makes sense because it's like a natural space for the font, you know, and if the font changes, then Uh the space gets tighter or something like that. So that's just, yeah, that's where I Yeah, it gives you a, yeah, it gives you an opportunity to work proportionally related to the type. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like you're kind of married to type at that point, but it's, trust me, you want to rely on type. That's my Good opinion. Deal. I'm sticking to it. All right. Next question. Srinivas Reddy asks, how can we create equal height divs with only CSS? Uh, well, you could use the height property. <laughs> <laughs> you could use tables. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sure. There's a, there's a number of ways here. I, usually this question is asked in the context of columns because they want, they have columns that perhaps have a different background on them. And if they have different amounts of content in them, that background only stretches so far and you look like you have an uneven situation. I'm sure that comes up pretty often, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if I was designing a menu and I have a breakfast, lunch, and dinner column, you know, and I only serve sandwiches at lunch, I, I don't want that column to be a hundred pixels tall. I want it to match the other ones. I want them to all match. Sure. And there's so many ways that this has been thought about and talked about and stuff over the years. Um, you know, one of the ways I've found myself using recently is to just not care how, how high those divs are and instead set their parent, set the background colors um, of the parent element. So the parent element will be as tall as the tallest one. So you can kind of, and you can use kind of, uh, web or, or, or uh, CSS gradients that don't have a fade, but just do hard color stops to kind of fake the background of them, which is kind of neat. But it, it again, that CSS three. And if you need super deep browser support, that might not work for you. Flexbox that we've talked about in several episodes will help us with this very, very easily. Yeah. Um, JavaScript. Yeah. (laughs) After that, I would use JavaScript. Chris, you have like an equal height script on your blog. Scott Jewell has one. I think I think I saw it's it. It's one of those it's one of those things in jQuery you can be like take take these arbitrary set of elements, loop through them with each with a and have a variable that's set to zero if and then measure the height of one of of the one that in the iteration that you're on right now. Is it higher than zero? Yes, then set the max height to that. Just keep looping through it and find whichever one is the tallest one and then use the height command in jQuery to make them all that height or probably min height would be better so that you're not locking content. Yeah, I would, I would, yeah, min height might be a trick you could use too, you know, but just know that it is breakable, you know. Sure. There's so many things. Yeah. Display table to right. Make them all table cells. If you, if, if, if if that's, you know, if you can get away with that. Yeah. There's a few techniques. I think, I think you can find something. It sort of depends on your design and stuff like that. So I hope that was an okay answer. I feel like we covered a lot there and I hope if you're listening to this that you that you can that's enough to google from. I feel like if if anybody listening who knows about these techniques and they're like, "Yeah, they covered them all," but hopefully that that was literally useful to you. Uh, like so Google, here's what what should we got to give them something more concrete, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Google um, <laughs> equal height dibs, I guess. <laughs> that's terrible. Mm. But uh, or maybe just like we'll read our, go, go back and look at Flexbox because that's kind of the the future of it. So you know maybe uh, you can you can be on the forefront of that revolution. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, here's one I found at CSS Tricks called Fluid with Equal Height Columns. Yay. That's the color stop one. So yeah. That, that's kind of cool. That's pretty cool. Yep. I use that even in the in my latest redesign of CS tricks. I have uh, the snippet section in which Reagan Ray did the, the header for Dave's coworker and friend. Uh the on the left is a uh, is a gray bar where with this kind of the navigation on the right is white, and I accomplish those equal height columns with CSS gradients. Yep. No, that's good. That's good. There's quite a few. I think you'll be able to find it. So maybe just Google some of the words we said. 
Yeah. There's another, I found another blog at Build Internet, and they're talking Yeah, about, that's a great blog. They're talking about using Display Table. So, and and they've actually got all four, the JavaScript yep. one, the everything. Yeah, so. That can be a little, a little tiny bit wacky. Like, if you can get away with it, that's cool. But there's some quirks to know about with Display Table. For example, it, once, once a div is behaving like a table cell, you can no longer relative position it. So if you needed to use, like, absolutely position something within that or something, you're kind of out of luck without using extra divs and stuff. There's quirks to be aware of. I'm not a huge fan of Display Table in general, but. Yeah, yeah. I had high hopes, and then it let me down real bad. So steer clear. Use with discretion. <laughs> okay, we have a um, a sponsor here. So you know, do you guys know the website unmatchedstyle.com? Uh, it's kind of like a web gallery, but they do interviews too and blog posts, and there's just lots of content there to explore. Now they're doing a couple of podcasts. We'll have to go get those guys on. Giovanni DeFederici there is a great guy, good illustrator, also did one of the headers for the CSS Tricks redesign. Gene Crawford, good guy, Jay Barry. Uh, Gene does a podcast with Carl Smith. We're going to have them on the show to do a crossover thing. They're just good guys, very into the web community. They do a conference in uh, in Columbia, South Carolina. That's great, called Converge SE. That's over for the year, but they're going to do another one. They're expanding, uh, and this one's called Converge Florida, convergefl.com. It's October 4th and 5th in Tallahassee, Florida. And when this airs, you're not going to have much time, folks. So I want you to just like, I want a few of you at least just to, Come pulse, go crazy, be like, I'm going to Florida, it's October, pick it up, buy a plane ticket, go. It's a very affordable conference there in uh, in Tallahassee, Florida. They're doing a bunch of like live podcasts there. Unfortunately, we weren't able to do the shop shop talk show from there, but I'm going to be there, so maybe we'll we'll figure something out. I'll I'll be there anyway in spirit, so uh, and like with my person, but unfortunately, Dave can't make this. <laughs> no, I'm yeah, I yeah, my heart. Weeps. I said, I, if <laughs> if you are listening, go because I can't. For, mm-hmm. <laughs> please, you could be my pseudo fake Dave if you. Yeah, can. You, yeah. I give you. I I I dub the the fake Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be doing some neat stuff. I'm going to be giving a talk, uh, of course, but I'm also going to be meeting up with JD uh, Grafham there and doing some eye tracking studies for CSS Tricks, which should be pretty neat to like see what we can learn about people using the site and see if I can, uh, you know, find some. Areas of failure or something. Uh, you know, anybody that wants to come watch that, it'll be cool. So come to convergefl.com and you don't have much time. So so just do it impulsively, peeps. We'll do it live! Yeah, do it now. That's what I wanted to say. All right, here we go. Next question comes from William Hernandez. What internet security suite do you use on your Macs for online protection? For instance, Norton Internet Security, Intego Internet Security Barrier X6 Dual Protection, Kaspersky, etc. What? Oh, Mac okay. So William protection? Hernandez is just saying, what do you use on your Mac for online protection? Like uh, against viruses and stuff. And um, I'm probably going to give the answer that a heck of a lot of Mac users say, and they just, nothing, really? I just use the internet? It's never, n- never once been a problem. That may be embarrassing. That may be dumb. It may be short-sighted. I don't know. It just seems like having something like Norton Internet Security running all the, t- all the time on my Mac would be annoying. And uh, the day I will install that is the day I read a blog post that says 
there's a very real virus going around on Max, you know. But I just haven't seen that for somehow, some way. Um, Apple has done a very good job, uh, apparently, of 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 not ever having that happen. I mean, I don't know, so ever. I've heard of some viruses once in a while, but nothing's ever happened to me. So, yeah, I've although I, I say that, and my domain name's been stolen from me, <laughs> so maybe or, there was a. As William is hacking into your computer as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) Intego Internet Security Barrier X6 Dual Protection. Apparently that's a thing that you can run. Got a lot of words. It sounds serious. Uh, Yeah, the moral of the story is most viruses for Mac, and this isn't a Mac podcast by any means, but uh, most viruses are delivered through pirated software. So if you're stealing that copy of Office or, you know, beta iPhone 6000, you might be getting a virus if you're stealing or doing a lot of torrents and stuff like that. So if you do a lot of that, I don't know. I've heard good things about Kaspersky and Norton, so maybe check those dudes out. That's my – oh, and also, if you ever open – like Max, in order for a, like a virus to get installed, I think in most cases it asks you for permission. It's like, do you want to install this? Enter your like user password. And what you're doing there is basically entering super user mode to like give this application access to your whole computer. So if like you download a site from an adult website, <laughs> like a file from an adult website, uh, guess what? It, and it asks you, like, can I install everything? And you on this say computer? okay. And you even say okay. You... That's your fault. So, mm. yeah, best practices probably keep us pretty safe, too. Yeah. So, don't Willie... get old. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That's a safety measure. If you could have eternal youth. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that the... Well, yeah, don't get old. Yeah. Well, know. it's just, I just am imagining, some, you know, some of my, <laughs> my aging parents being yeah. like, Chris, do I hit the button or not hit the button? Chris, <laughs> yeah. do I hit the button? I'd be like, just hit it, just hit the button, and they're and it's some terrible. Yeah. No, no, my mom gets got a Mac recently, and she'll text me, "How do I open a Windows Media Video from my email?" Oh, yeah, that's it. So that's the number one thing that parents do. I apparently, know. I know it's. Awesome. What'd you tell her? VLC. Well, oh, uh, I do use. Parian. Um, oh yeah, the little Swiss Army knife thing. That thing's pretty sweet, just because it's seamless. But yeah, I think she figured it out. I hope. I don't know. Fingers crossed. So, anyway, next question. Jape, jop, jop, sing, jop, sing. Is there a good way to add formatting to elements with plain old CSS? For example, if a Medicare number format. You know, like, so a Medicare number apparently is like 10 or 11 digits or so. Uh, can could I put a space after the first three or the first four and then a space after the next five and stuff like that? Just with CSS, you have a string and it's just, it's 10 characters long and he wants to add a space, you know, after the certain character. Like, what, how is that? Is that possible with just regular CSS? Um, not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not really is right. So that's what that's what Dave's uh fit no. Sp- lettering, lettering would lettering. help do. 
So, yeah, lettering JS would help with that. Um, if you have access to jQuery and don't mind tiny jQuery plugins, Dave's thing is he, he can tell you about it, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, a very, like, um, lettering will, it just injects spans, and it's very ordinal. It's ve- it's like car one, car two, car three, car four for character one, character two, character three. It's very, like, it doesn't require much brain to use after you. Okay. You don't even have to use then. Uh, you can use a class name. You wouldn't even have to go span nth child four or something. You would just no, do like car yeah. four margin right five pixels yep. or one m. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just color. I think his example here is like color red. You know. Um, you could also alternately like if you know what you're searching for or something. You know, if you want to split up numbers, that would be the best way to do it. Or um, this might be a good time to learn some JavaScript, honestly. Um, just learn how to split split up numbers and stuff like that. It's pretty simple work. Sure. So, Grab a um, string and then do like string.split0, four or whatever. Yeah. 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 And then you just insert a yep. space and stuff. So, mm-hmm. I, I, so many I would, ways to. I would accept the JavaScript physical challenge on this. Yep. <laughs> or just wait a couple of years. Uh, Adobe did some work with getting nth letter to work, and I don't know that it will be accepted. So they did work, and they got it working in some fork of WebKit. Yeah. Um, and then I'm, I think they might meet a little resistance when it comes to turning that into a real spec because there's some weirdnesses with letters in other languages and stuff in the, in this, you know, things like, will it only work in English or how does right to left work and yada, 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 you know, there's probably more to it than just how it seems to, you know, simple English speaking text or whatever. Just there always is, you know, like I, I want nth letter to work, but I understand that the web is a complicated place and it may not be that simple. Someday. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, well, good luck. Good luck. Next question from Brian Bell writes in asking, how do developers commonly incorporate GitHub into their web publishing workflows? I understand how GitHub is used in to version and share code across the team, but it's not clear to me how code gets from GitHub to the actual web server. I've read about some techniques to allow to auto-publish to GitHub to a server, but I'm not sure if this is common and or an acceptable practice. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know, interesting story. We tried long and hard to get like a the easiest thing possible going for Shop Talk Show for for this, but we were unsuccessful. <laughs> Yeah, we kind of were. Oh, well, we uh, but we did. I mean, we have something now. I don't know if you're all set up on it yet or not. But uh, I've been a little busy. But no, <laughs> we'll get to it. I'll get that's to good. It. The day that you need to make a change, you're not going to have much of a choice. I'll be doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I set it up, and I set it up just the same way that I set up a lot of my stuff. Is um, I don't use GitHub. I use Beanstalk, which also is similar to GitHub in that they provide cloud. Git um, repos, you know, so uh, uh, I just, you know, have a Git repo and I can just work with Git like I normally work with Git, the same way that you work with Git on GitHub. Uh, I use a Mac GUI client called Tower, but there's a number one. There's one that just came out that looked pretty good, too. I, I forgot the name of it, though. Dang it. And uh, or uh, you can't use GitHub for Mac, unfortunately, because it only works with GitHub, which is unfortunate, really. But I understand why, where they're coming from on that one. I use one called Tower because it works very good with Beanstalk. 
And I set up Beanstalk, which is a web app, literally a web interface. And you just uh, go there and say, hey, uh, when you get code, what, what do you want to do with it? Do you want it to just push it to staging automatically? We could do that for you. We could put it, push it to production automatically if you want to do that. Uh, these are just different. Those are just pseudonyms for different little servers you might set up. We don't even have a staging server at Shop Talk Show. We just have it set up so that when we push to to this repository, Beanstalk just automatically deploys it to the server. And by deploy, I just mean literally I gave it our FTP credentials and it just uses FTP to put the files in place. So we don't use FTP. We use version control. And by we, I mean pretty soon it will be we. Right now it's I. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you did all the work. Zone. zone. (laughs) We'll get there. Oh, I know. But you know, you do do other stuff on Git. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Well, there's so there's this thing in Git, like with GitHub, called they call them post receive hooks. Mm. I think they kind of go by different names, but that's yeah. When GitHub receives the data, it will it can arbitrarily hit a URL for you. Exactly. So it can callback. it can, yeah, it can call back. It can ping somewhere and say, "Hey, I just put a new master version on my server. Come and get it." And then your server will like execute a git git pull. Yeah, this can be a little tricky. <laughs> so yeah. careful there. You have to make sure that, like, whatever script it hits. The server has permission to, like, it's just not all that easy. Like, some servers just won't run bash commands from arbitrary callbacks, you know? Like, mm-hmm. just won't let you do that. That's what, that's the main problem we ran into. We thought we were going to be super slick. Like, oh, we'll yeah. just use commit hooks. Boom. Push it up. Boom. It's going to, like... Then you have to install Git on your server. So your your, Git, your server then essentially does a Git pull, just like you would do a Git pull when you want to get new code. It just does a Git pull, too. Very clever. I prefer the Beanstalk auto-pushing thing. It just makes a lot of sense. Also, listen to our episode with Alex King, episode 33. We talk a little bit about Capistrano. That is a, a tool that you run locally that you can configure all up to... Um, you know, you, you do Git push, and you keep all your stuff in version control. When you are ready to push to your um, server, you just do cap deploy, and it will just do all the fancy stuff that Capistrano can do to it. And it does more than just pushing the... Kind of, I think it's it's a little hard to describe because I'm not a super nerd, but we have it all set up at CodePen. It 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 just runs server commands essentially, it like SSHs into your server and uh, runs a scripts and stuff for you in the order that it needs to run in, and kind of waits around for them to finish and runs other commands. I think I think that's the gist of it, but it's a it's a tool for that. If I ever get my blog redesigned and back up. Mm-hmm. Ryan, I'll give you kind of a workflow I've been toying with that's using a rake file to basically do rsync, which is like FTP, but it's kind of automated. So anyway, well, well I'll- I've heard of people that just run a cron job for Git pull too. Just yeah. like I push every, every 10 minutes, I do a Git pull on my server, whatever. Oh, and then it'll just fail if nothing changes. Yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 like you know, like it seems a little weird to be constantly running a command that will essentially fail, but it's like a, there's no weight to that call, you know, like yeah. get pull, uh, yeah. nothing, big deal. <laughs> no, I th- I I would love more blog posts about like the easiest, stupidest, simplest way to do it, you know. So yeah. It's not like the coolest, hippest, nerdiest, developeriest way, but the like, it's just a blog. Yeah. This is how I do this with WordPress 
and it's mm-hmm. simple. It's not like, you know, tap into the satellite and then. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how all developer blogs. <laughs> Just SSH. And there satellite. is a epidemic of, of, of technical blog posts that start off way too simple. They're like, and then, you know, like, this is how you do a loop. And then you're like, and then it immediately launches into something crazy complicated. It's just so it's funny. It's like you should either just went for the complicated thing, or give me the intermediary steps. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's like you miss one fatal flaw. Or yeah, nah, I don't want to get. There'll be like just install this gem, you know, like gem do cool thing, and then what happens if your Ruby environment's totally exploded? Like they don't help people solve that problem which is a different problem but yeah i don't know hey it's interesting well i'm gonna i'm gonna call that one done uh hey let's do a sponsor Uh, 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 uh. imagine me and dave Walking on the beach. <laughs> uh, talking about CSS, probably. We're going to be in Honolulu, Hawaii, this early December. What is the exact date for it? Go to incontrolconference.com. It is the latest upcoming conference from our sponsor, Environments for Humans. Uh, it's going to be, it's just, it's a web conference. It's for web people. It's for the best of all web people. Not to mention, you get to go to Hawaii, number one. Number two, you get to go to like a best in breed conference. Literally one of the best conferences I go to each year. I really, really loved it. It used to be in Orlando. They may still be doing it in Orlando too, but now they're also doing it in Hawaii for the first time. Great lineup of people. Uh, Both me and Dave will be there. It runs back to back with the CSS Dev Conf. Uh, which is an all CSS conference, which I know you're interested in. Um, yeah, you what should else? Go. Do you, no, you it's, should... it's going to be great. Uh, Tube Steak and I are going to teach you teach surfing classes <laughs> early in the morning, and uh, it's going to be totally hang ten, brah. Yeah, I know some of you are, are have already gotten tickets. We've managed to convince you. That is fabulous news. So uh, we're going to see some of you there. And please join us if you're on the fence still. Come down on the side of the fence that Honolulu is on. The, the <laughs> surf talk show. <laughs> oh, You know when you talk to somebody about surfing and you're trying to get tips, they're like, yeah, man, you just get, on, get the wave. When you feel it pulling you, you just, you just ride it and pop up. And you're just like, how, how does that happen? You just pop up, man. Just pop up. <laughs> That's like, like a developer blog of surfing. Yeah, basically. It's like, <laughs> just pop up. You'll feel it. And you're like, I don't get it. I'm done. I, I'm sunburned. <laughs> I'm going inside. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, In Control. You guys are the best. We appreciate yeah. you guys. Okay. Next question is from Chad Warner. This is Chad Warner from Holland, Michigan. Sometimes my clients ask me to hide the page titles in WordPress. I could prevent them from being generated by the PHP in the themes template file, but I've been told it's better for SEO to keep them and simply hide them with CSS. Is this true? (laughs) If so, is it better to use display none, text indent, or some other method? 
I wasn't laughing at Chad's question. I was laughing at myself because uh, this is not, this happens once in a while, or maybe it's the first time. Uh, it happens once in a while in my brain while I put together these shows. But we did this question on episode thirty-three. We, uh, we did. We talked about it. So go back and, and, and listen to that. I think maybe we'll just skip it then just because we literally did do this question and we talked about it kind of uh, in depth. So yeah, what do you think? Is that the best way to handle that? Yeah. You want to edit this out or should we just keep it? No. Thanks for the question, Chad. You get double, you get double time and, uh, and it's just a teaser. You know, It's a, encouraging you to go visit the excellent Shop Talk Show website and explore our archives. Oh, wow, man. You just totally leveraged our product synergy. <laughs> I believe that is what happened. <laughs> that is awesome. Cool. Yeah, check out the archives. Here we go. Next question is from AJ Devga. Uh, I'm not quite sure I understand the purpose behind using the data whatever attributes. Could you guys discuss this a bit? It seems like a replacement for using a class name, but why do it? Is it any better to do, say, image source data type slide image and target it with image bracket data type equals slide image instead of doing image sort or image class slide image and targeting it with slide image. Uh, so, yes. So like he's saying, he sees a lot of people using the bracket data thing equals like as a, as a class name essentially. Yeah, basically like using it like a class name. Is that's weird image? and dumb? I think. No, I would. I would say. Don't do that. Um, if you're targeting it in CSS, the only reason you'd see the brackets around, so you'd image bracket data type equals slide image, is because you're trying to select that image in CSS because it happens to have that attribute, like that HTML5 data attribute. That's not what they're for, really, right? They, if you're just trying to select it in CSS, just use a class name. That's what class names are for. Uh, the reason, and here's that there's a great, there's, this is a great explanation of why, why is there such thing as, as HTML5 data types and what are they for? You can look through the Twitter bootstrap, J, the, the, the jQuery plugins that come with Twitter bootstrap make a heavy use of data, um, attributes in there. And it's a really smart and interesting thing. So all the jQuery plugins that come with it are nice, lightweight, little UI style plugins. And you can call them. They all have methods. So you can, you know, do dollar sign, you know, a selection dot whatever it is, you know, whatever the name of the jQuery plugin is, that you can call them in that traditional way. But also all of them are able to be called just by having data attributes on them. So for an example, one of them is called type ahead that I just used recently that I found very nice. Uh, and you ha- you put it on an input element and you say data, I don't know, data, data or something. There's It's not that, but there's some... You what you what you're trying to do is give it an array uh, like so apples oranges bananas peaches pineapples. You need to give it that array so that when I type AP, it will show me uh, basically like an HTML5 data list. If you ever seen that, uh, a little pop down thing that shows me Apple just a lot, kind of like autocomplete, but it's a little smarter really than autocomplete. I don't know. It's it's kind of neat. So how do you give it that? That data. How do you give it apples, oranges, bananas, pineapples, whatever? Well, there's there's ways you can do it programmatically through JavaScript, like I said, or you can just put an array, literally like bracket, you know, quote string, comma quote string, comma quote string bracket 
in a data attribute right in the markup. So if that's more efficient for whatever reason, if it has that, the, the jQuery plugin will see it and it will just work on it. It's like a great use of HTML5 data attributes. So, um, that's, you know, if you need it for CSS, use a class name. Uh, and if you see HTML5 data attributes, that type of thing is really what they're great for. Yeah, it's really like, yeah, it's good for data. That's kind of the big thing is like, yeah. I mean, if you have like, like, you know, data people and it's Nancy, Sally, Thomas, and you want all the ones that have Nancy involved to be pink and all the ones with Thomas to be blue or something, you can like basically do that data. Those would make terrible class names. So I wouldn't recommend doing that, you know? Oh, I see. That's a reason why you may use bracket yeah. data type like star equals or whatever in CSS. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's I mean, that's one reason, you know, if you're doing like if you're if you're working in PHP, you could do that like let's say you have a photo we'll use the slide image thing that he's kind of set up. Like if you had slide image, a bunch of slide images, you'd have image class slide image, right? Um but it, let's say one's like not safe for work, and so you have a flag like in the database, and this one has to be black or display none or something like that. Um, yeah, like you could, you know, chances are in the database that field is just a one or a zero, you know. Um, so you could, there's two ways you could do some logic in your class field, like class equals slide image PHP if. Sl- you know, my row variable equals not safe for work equals one, then output not safe for work else do nothing. Like you could do that or you could go the logic less route and just say data NSFW equals one or zero, whatever's stored in the field. You know, that's, I mean, yeah, yeah. That, I hope that made sense, but you can, you can basically get your data without having to do a bunch of logic in your template. So maybe you love doing logic in your template. I know people like that, but Mm. I think that's one of my, really my biggest pet peeves in the whole world. Really? Just like, that's a, that's a a secret. It's a secret about me. I just try to like, you know, now that I like kind of had some, some exposure into the rails world and working on rails apps and how that's kind of a big deal in rails, like put all your logic in the controller or whatever. Just in, or in, the, in the helpers and stuff, and, and keep it out of the view. So in the view, all you have is really clean little kind of outputty tags. So great, so great. Now I'm back in WordPress a little bit. Now actually, WordPress does a, a, a kind of decent job of it. Actually, uh, there is some logic, like the loop and stuff, kind of exposes itself in views. But it's and then I worked with vanilla forums a, a bit here, and uh, you know, not that like it's kind of working pretty good on CSS tricks, but there is a ton of logic in views, and it just bugs me. Now that I see it, it bugs me. It's so much to sift through. So that's, I mean, again, AJ, I think that's just style versus you know what you want to do. So. <laughs> I would probably, given where I'm at and where I think the web is headed, I would just stuff the data. Like, I mean, why not, like, give an image element, like, all the data you have on it inside of it? I mean, that's kind of cool. Like, you can kind of start doing really cool things with data there. So that's just for an image element. I mean, you could do anything, like timestamps and create it at and, 
you know, like auto give like new classes and stuff like that. So totally. Uh, uh, that's it's kind of cool. Anyway, I'm gonna stop this one. <laughs> There you go. Next one. Mo Fosta asks, what's the deal with WordPress frameworks like Thematic, Genesis, Carrington, which we talked about on the Alex King episode? They seem to be cropping up recently, and I think I'm a little confused. I understand they're useful for making changes purely through CSS child themes, but I find myself making extensive modifications whenever I use these frameworks. It seems a bit, and we're talking about WordPress here. I did say that, I guess. Also, it seems a bit backwards to write HTML code in a function, PHP, in functions.php, so it can hook into the theme with, with filters and hooks. Are frameworks just not for me, or am I missing the point? Hmm, hold on. I've got a sound effect. <laughs> It's a common one. Yeah, that's a that's definitely is that it's it's kind of like the pseudo hot drama kind of thing because it's her like hashtag holy war kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so yeah, no, I I'm gonna maybe I don't I I think we'll probably we both would probably side with with Mo, but um, the I don't use frameworks just because I don't. You know, WordPress already is sort of a, you know, like you have to learn, like it's PHP, right? But you're learning WordPress's template tags, you know? And then for me, like to learn another set of framework template tags on top of that, oh my gosh, like now I'm double learning frameworks, you know? Um, now I, I'm like super abstracted from like what PHP is doing. And that bothers me personally. But I know a lot of people who, do Genesis and they love it because it's just like, oh, I just installed Genesis. I have all these convenience functions, helpers, kind of like what we were talking about earlier. These helper functions that just allow me to build out child themes and super sites super fast. And yeah, um, I mean, Except, that's and that's how can you argue against that, right? Like they're doing they're doing good, right? Yeah. So I would like say more power. I would say most people that I know who are like making mad money. Uh, like Matt and Money doing um, uh, WordPress. I think they're on frameworks like that, like Genesis and stuff. Well, because they like pump that. them out, you know? They, they work on lots of WordPress sites. I don't, I'm not in that, I'm, not, I'm personally not in that position anymore. I work with WordPress fairly often, but I'm not like churning them out. So the, the, the answer, I think, or a, a start to an answer for you is how many WordPress sites do you build? Like, do you, do you have 10 of them that you're maintaining? Are you doing one a week? Are you, you know, like, what's your what's your output like and can you analyze that output and figure out hey what are bits of code that i find myself doing over and over and over is it is there something about user profiles or i I don't even know like it's so i don't find myself doing that much repeat stuff that i'm like god i wish i could just have a framework so that this function would be on all the sites that i work with it just it just doesn't come up for me but i can see in some people's world where it does like a like a really super widgetized site or something. Maybe like your your mind and your your style of the sites that you work on makes like big time heavy use of of WordPress widgets. You just widgetize everything. Like maybe a framework would would work good for that because that takes some work to set up. I don't know. Like uh, it, it's just self awareness and self analysis of, of that type of thing. You know, if you any time you you know just use your developer brain. Anytime you find yourself doing repeat work, let the developer and you go wild and figure out a way to 
that's where these frameworks came from, certainly. They were born from that developer mentality of not repeating work. Yeah. Well, and they they each do something a little different, you know, like um, uh, like thematic is, well, you know, I'm not even sure. I'm thinking of something different, but like thematic is good. Genesis is good. I mean, you can literally... Carrington's drag and drop. That's unique to that. So yeah, that's I would it. say Carrington's probably a little different than these, like that's more client facing, like letting your client be able to build a page and stuff like that. So, um, mm. you know, kind of thesis is another one of those that really puts the, the end user in, in charge. Um, so yeah, you, but you've got like thematic and Genesis. I mean, I don't know. It might be worth learning it. I would say, cause there are people who are like, they want Genesis developers now and, and they want thematic developers now. And so, um, or I think there's a foundation WP foundation or something like that. So yeah. Or if you don't like it, you ain't got to do it. I don't do it. So yeah, I don't, I don't do it either. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to click around the internet a little bit to figure out exactly like what is an example of a WordPress theme function that is like obviously makes sense to have, you know, like, is there some, um, so like, like comments, like the WP comment guy, he's, he's out of date or he's, he's not like, it's always weird. You could maybe do it a little better if you're going to, you know, you want an avatar to be a thousand pixels (laughs) large or something. Yeah. Well, that takes a parameter, but yeah, yeah. I think you're onto something here that, that it's like kind of like a, a, it will let you write maybe your own markup for how comments work or really kind of customize what's, what gets output HTML wise for comments. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I do that a lot. I mean, I'll even do that just for like a, to use the time element. So totally. I'm with you. Like, if you're using like function, that's where you'd put like H the second question he had is like, it seems weird to like do HTML and a functions.php. That's where you do that. I mean, cause the WordPress is looking for like overwrites and hacks in functions PHP. And I mean, and you just basically just put a little code snippet in there and it'll use that because WordPress has that HTML in a PHP file somewhere else. So <laughs> that's what it's expecting. So, yeah. Am I yeah. making I yeah, think totally. com- comments is the big one. I think that's that's where I always override something there. So, yeah. Cool. Well, that wraps it up folks for us in our in our in our super rapid fire so keep the questions coming. You can go to shoptalkshow.com slash ask at any time in the world and ask a question for us. Of course, we always like the audio questions. If you're able to, we link out to a very simple service. It's a website called recordmp3.com where all you just click a button and record it and get a URL. It couldn't be simpler. Uh, and just, you know, the makes this more personal radio show when we can hear your voice. So uh, thanks for listening. What do you got, Dave? Uh, thank you guys so much. Rate us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ChopTalkShow. ChopTalkShow.com.